This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Every new year brings a focus on what's next in design. Is it time to banish boucle? Are lacquered walls and jewel tone colors on their way out? Is the 1970s, the next era, ready for a revival? Of course, a lot more is going on than just trends. Does the moribund housing market mean a slowdown for interior design firms? Will inflation put a damper on client budgets? How will technology change the way designers work? Will new apps and computer programs make work easier or only more confusing? Will your next assistant be virtual? I have with me three designers from across the country who are ready to weigh in on what they see ahead, what they're looking forward to in 2024, what is inspiring them, and what they would be just as happy never to have to see or think about again. First up is Sausalito-based designer Katie McCaffrey. Before starting her own firm, Katie worked for 12 years with Martha Angus, and she also became an expert in antiques restorations. Her clean-lined and comfortable rooms, animated with bold graphic touches and rich colors, have been featured in House Beautiful and Lux, as well as numerous other publications. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. So glad you're here. Houston-based Benjamin Johnston studied architecture at Texas A&M University and the University of Texas at Austin before founding his own design firm. He describes his interiors as classic, curated, and cool, and they are also colorful, bold, and luxurious. His work has been featured in numerous publications, and he also designs furniture for Chattuck Home, rugs for Madison Lily Rugs, and fabrics for S. Harris. Hello, Ben. Glad to be here. Danielle Colding started her Manhattan firm in 2007 after studies in cultural anthropology and African-American studies at Stanford, and then a stint with the renowned decorating firm Irvine and Fleming. Since then, she became the winner of HGTV's Design Star in 2012 and has completed a wide range of beautifully detailed and richly textured residences and commercial projects that have earned her a place on El Decor's A-List. Welcome, Danielle. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Listen, it's so great that you're here. And I want to start on a positive note because we may have to get into some issues that are maybe not so positive. But I want to start with what you guys are looking at, thinking about like a design item or trend or the work of a designer you've seen in the past year that you've gotten excited about and that you think is going to help shape the way you think about design in the year ahead. So why don't we start with you, Katie? Gosh, you know, I'm really enjoying seeing more color infused to interiors these days. So not one particular interior designer per se, but I'm loving just seeing the departure from all white kitchens and baths or the heavy weighing on gray. I'm loving seeing the infusion of bright new colors in cabinetry. And color is something that I'm really excited about and, and happy to see that it's coming back to the forefront again. I'm drawn a lot to the French blues right now. I love like any sort of blue gray, but the French blue has that wee bit of almost periwinkle to it, which I just love it. And we've seen it through time in French 
exteriors and interiors. And it still just looks so wonderful and fresh and adds a little bit of fun while still looking elegant and refined. So that's kind of my personal favorite. Although, you know, I really love any color on the cabinetry, just maybe not avocado green. Yeah. Or gray, like you were saying. Enough (laughs) with the gray. Enough with the gray. And Ben, what about you? What has been enticing to you of late? Well, I was thinking when Katie was answering about color, and I was just going to say, for me, periwinkle is one of my new favorite colors. And I love it mixed with like a coral tomato red color, which I see emerging back in the marketplace. So I think those colors are really exciting me. And yeah, to just echo the great thoughts that Katie shared, the truth is, is that expressive interiors, you know, I think that are unique is something I'm getting really excited about. And I love that designers are feeling more free to do more than just one look. You know, I see a lot of designers branching out and experimenting with their own sense of style. And that's very exciting to me because I don't think there's a one size fits all kind of solution for design. So I get excited about individuality. Right. All right, Danielle, what about you? So I definitely agree more expressive, a lot of color, but I think the ways in which we're doing it are interesting. I think it's all about different finishes. I'm seeing a lot of really interesting exotic woods used again, right? Like burl wood and also really like shiny polish, right? Like even with stone, I'm seeing OG edges back. Like, did we ever think we were going back to OG? (laughs) Interesting. I don't think so, but we are. Uh Uh-huh. And I would say, I love what Katie said and do love the French blue, but I am going to give a vote for avocado <laughs> green. Because oh, controversy. I'm really, <laughs> controversy. I'm really into these kind of like ugly, pretty colors. And I will say this grassy green, it's not quite avocado, but this kind of grassy, earthy green, I'm seeing everywhere and I love it. And so I think there's a lot more fun that people are having with those off colors. Right. It's interesting because AD Pro on one of their things were projecting that muddier colors are going to be more important. And I've been seeing a little bit in the magazine. So it's interesting that you say that. One quick addition is that the addition, I mean, like finally the reemergence of silver. I mean, after years of nothing but brass and gold tones, I mean, I'm thrilled to see silver kind of coming back. And I think I get asked all the time about like how... Is there a time to do it? I think there's a time to mix metals all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think the only way to really keep a classic interior is to mix those brass tones or gold tones with the silver tones, all the polished nickel, the chrome. And I just think it leads to such a more enduring interior. Now, that's interesting because, you know, we've been seeing with the revival of the 70s that people have been talking about a lot of bronze and brass, but now you're saying cooler. Do you think chrome will come back? Are we heading toward the 60s? I do. And I think you're going to see people mixing them. I think in the hands of really skillful designers, I think you're going to see a lot of mixed metals. And I think that that just, again, yields a more classic and fresh interior for years to come. We're also starting to see the mixed metals a lot in various plumbing lines and metal lines, but a lot of faucet companies are making mixed metal faucets. And I definitely agree with you. I think that the mixing of the metals is such a, it's so rich if done right. And seeing it included in actual fixtures just opens up a whole new world for us as designers. And I'm really enjoying working with those and seeing those. And on that note, I'll also say losing that matte black that I feel like I'm, for one, very tired of for a warmer, sort of like oil rubbed bronze done right. 
where it's like that sort of off black in the most perfect lived in way and not everything's so stark and perfect, right? More lived in finishes, more life reflected. Okay, that brings up a question. Uh, like, Ben, I'll ask you, designers, I think people love a patina and sort of worn in, but, you know, clients are spending a lot of money and there's this thing in America is very common, you know, I want everything to be new and perfect. I'm spending money. So is it harder to sell your clients on these slightly worn, more comforting, cosseting sort of materials? I think it is. And I'm sure Danielle and Katie have thoughts on this as well. But for me, it's interesting because I do think you have to, as a designer, part of our job is to educate our clients and to really romance what we're getting them to buy into. And one of the things that I think we have to romance is this notion that everything is not durable, that it actually things have patina and that things can actually age with time. And that's something that's beautiful and that it gives your house character and warmth. And it is something that I spend a lot of time talking about with my clients. Of course, I have clients that are like, absolutely not. No way am I interested in that. (laughs) But then I have some clients that I do feel like get it and they understand and I'm happy to push them in that direction. And Danielle, would you say the same? Do you think that your clients are more willing to go with a slightly worn look? I mean, or a darker wood, you know, because they've spent so much Scandinavian blonde wood. And you mentioned darker woods, which I too have been seeing walnuts and darker brown woods and which I personally love. But I think it's, is it a harder sell? It really depends on the client. So I was plumbing shopping last week and my client, she's not the one for patina. Um, But we found really great finishes and they have these PVD, you know, they never change sort of finishes. So you sort of have to thread the needle, right? Like I kind of get my way (laughs) because I have a prettier finish, but she also doesn't have to worry about cleaning or she's just not the one for fingerprints, right? And like these beautiful, I mean, I would do it in my own house, but you sort of have to know your client. And a lot of them, maybe because of partially social media, there is a sort of expectation of perfection, right? You're seeing these perfectly finished, stylized rooms. And it's very different than the reality of having a home where it's really lived in and used. Life is not an Instagram post, you know? Yes, it is not. (laughs) And I think we all fight that battle every day. And to Ben's point, I really try to get that across the beauty of the lived in moment, the beauty of how things change over time and that that's okay. But it's not as easy a sell anymore, I think, because of the pictures. Okay, so we mentioned gray, but I want to switch this a little to the negative side. I want to know, and Ben, we'll start with you. What are you sick of? What do you really don't want to see? And maybe clients are still saying, I like this, showing you a picture from five years ago. And you say, please, if I see that one more time, what do we hope to be done with in 2024? Gosh, I think that for me, I don't know. I think, again, anything in its right place, you know, even down to color and color preferences, like I think used well, I think anything can be really exciting and beautiful. And I think it's all in the skillful mix of things. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. But come on, well, answer the like, question. Like, <laughs> as an example, everybody is telling, oh, gray's over, gray's over, gray's over. Well, I actually think gray is going to be, it's a neutral, it's a basic. And I think that people are going to continue to have fun with it. There's this gorgeous Dadar wall covering behind me that's in this beautiful like moray silk pattern. And it's just absolutely stunning. And nobody's going to convince me otherwise that it's not beautiful and that I shouldn't love my gray moray silk walls because I think they're amazing. (laughs) Well, listen, if you have gray by Dadar, 
You're a winner. That's not a problem. <laughs> but the problem is that, you know, and we've seen them all and we've seen them in the stores. Everything is in a shade of gray. I mean, that I think is deadening. But you're right. You banish, but, you know, it's all how you use it, as you were saying, appropriately or as a touch or as a background, as a neutral or whatever. Completely. And I have to agree with Benjamin. If, if done artfully, I mean, gray has total staying power. I think it's just that, you know, it's been overused by RH and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, looking at your background, at your room that you're in, it's absolutely gorgeous. And I do think gray is a very livable color and very, very beautiful. I think, again, it's just, you know, some people take a good thing and overuse it, but it never makes a well-done say gray interior look bad. It's like that will always look beautiful because it's well done. Danielle, what about you? Something that you really, you know, I mean, if you look at the real estate ads or whatever, every house has a white curved sofa, usually boucle. I mean, what are you sick of? So it's so funny to the point of sort of Katie and Benjamin, every time you say something is out, you see an amazing version. So I've been on the no boucle beating the drum and then Metaphors comes to my office with the most beautiful boucles you've ever seen. And there's boucle and there's boucle. The thing that I'm really tired of is this sort of fast furniture trend, which, you know, for better or worse, it's where we live. I just so want people to just buy vintage, just go to consignment shop. Like, I'm just so tired of this poorly made furniture that is just so, I'm just tired of that whole thing, you know, goes with fast fashion. And the internet has just really changed things for us. So I really, for case goods, please, everybody, go to a consignment shop, go to a thrift shop, <laughs> you know, redo it. Cherish. Go to yes, Cherish. go to Cherish, go to thing. Buy things that have good bones, things with longevity. We just have so much of this in our business. And I hope we can just be more responsible in terms of like using what we already have and reusing. Cheers to that. Danielle, also talk about fast fashion. The truth is, is if you have a client who's concerned about lead times and concerned about things, talk about the fastest thing is something that already exists. So recycling and doing all that is the fastest thing that we could provide for our clients. And as you say, it's better quality than a lot of the stuff that they could be purchasing. And sustainability is something that we keep hearing is going to be Come important, and hopefully it will be in 2024. And it's a serious issue. So maybe get that message out of shop vintage. And, you know, it gives you something more unique. We're talking about, you know, RH, the sort of standard kind of spaces that we see all the time. And that's really a way to avoid that and go way beyond that. Not that you don't want to buy a couple of pieces or something that are more standard or simple, but then to bring distinction. So I want to talk a little more seriously now about the year ahead in terms of your own businesses, because as we all know, you know, the real estate market is really slowed down. There's a real shortage of inventory because of the higher mortgage rates. People aren't moving. They don't want to give up their low mortgage rates. And when people don't move and when apartments and houses don't sell, the design business suffers. So I wanted to get a sense from each of you of, A, have you started to feel that already? Are you thinking ahead? Do you think it might happen? Are you, I hope for all three of you, this is true that you're immune to that. Are you thinking about your staffing? So, Katie, how about you? What's the situation for you? 
Well, I'm always trying to keep an eye on on the future and what's happening on the horizon. We have a really small team and we've all been working together for so many years. And we have a lot of clients that we've been working with for many years. And what we've been noticing is every time we might get a little bit nervous, say COVID was happening, and it always ends up surprising us in that, no, we stay really busy. We have sort of generations of family members whose homes we started 20 years ago and they're ready for a refresh fresh or say they've gotten a vacation home, or even uh, recently we've been experiencing some of our clients from 20 years ago, their kids are now starting out and they have houses of their own that they're purchasing and families that they're starting. So we're doing their homes now as well. So we have a wonderful, almost insurance policy of just having these wonderful clients that have stuck with us and continue to use us. So I think being a smaller team has its benefits in that these fluctuations don't affect us as much as maybe a bigger firm might. So we don't really experience much of a slowdown as of yet. So we've been lucky. And Danielle, you have not been in business 20 years. So how are you thinking about the year ahead? Well, I've been in business since 07 and already experienced 08. Right. Which was... <laughs> you say a good start, right? That was a tough one. And COVID. And COVID and various other hiccups where, you know, and we're in the financial sort of center. So the minute people get a notion of any slowdown, their brakes are pulled. I will say it's been pretty consistent. I've noticed a bit of a slowdown. I think most of the designers in New York who I speak to, it's not that we don't have work. It's just we got into this sort of manic pace during COVID because it was like everybody at once. I mean, I had never had so many inquiries that turned into projects all at one time. So I think we're sort of settling back into a more normal pace where we're not as crazy. And that can be a little jarring, right? Because we might have ramped up. I too have a pretty small team. So thus far, it's been okay. And I have found ways to do other types of projects. You mentioned Stanford. I'm doing a project at Stanford right now, doing like a community center, which just kind of adds another layer to what I'm doing. I do some office projects here and there. So it's just sort of about like keeping it flowing, if you know what I mean. Like It may not be the exact same scale, but we're always busy. You know, even in my slow time, there's never not something to do. (laughs) And how big is your team? So our team is four now. Mm-hmm. Small. Four and Katie, small. How, many, how many in your team? We have six total. Okay. So okay. yeah, around the same size. Okay. And Ben, how many in, on your team? <laughs> we're, we're a team of 20. Um, but that. it's also, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's larger, but we are also half architecture, half right. interiors. Right. And to both Danielle's and Katie's points, I mean, it's interesting. Part of every running a good practice is also, again, the diversity and the mix of the projects that you have. And so, for instance, because we do ground up construction and we're working on a lot of projects that have very long lead times and long development cycles. So it just keeps us busy, even if maybe on the decoration front, we may not be as busy, but we're really busy on the architecture and an interior design front. So it just depends. And I also I also think so much of this is a regional question. I'm in Houston and Houston, 
learned its lesson when Enron collapsed years ago, and it has become an extremely diversified economy. So there's not one sector that seems to rule over all other sectors. So our clients seem relatively stable. And from that regard, and I feel very thankful, that's not obviously true across the country, but we've been in a good place to weather ups and downs in the market. But I would just say, again, it's a regional issue. And I also think it depends on the kind of work that you and your office provide. Yeah. But I do think there's going to be a rough year ahead. I mean, mortgage rates are still very high. Affordable housing is in short supply. Housing in general is in short supply at any price point is in really short supply. So it's going to be interesting. But I think what one of the things that you all mentioned was, you know, you don't have huge teams. And that's a help because as I can personally attest, when you have to lay people off, it's a really awful thing. And I remember from the 2008-9 showdown, a designer said to me, things started picking up pretty fairly soon after that. But he said, you know, I'm really hesitant to staff up again because it was so traumatic to have to lay people off, you know. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. So I want to talk about technology a little because certainly been in the news with Sam Altman and all that, artificial intelligence, AI and all that. But are there things that you have been looking at? Have you changed how your office works, your team works? I mean, obviously, Zoom had a big impact during COVID and that changed a lot of things. But are there programs or I'm not a designer, so I don't know, you know, drawing programs that you want to use? Are you thinking about using AI? Do you communicate? with your clients differently. Who wants to weigh in first? I can go. Okay. Thank you, Danielle. I'm not sure if I'm the least, but I'm definitely a Luddite in this <laughs> category. <laughs> Happily like my books. But no, we've been really, so it has been a bit slower for us. So my answer to that is really looking at our systems, right? How do we do things? How are we communicating? Where are we losing time? Where are we repeating work? That kind of thing. And so we've worked through a few different platforms to try to get a system in place. Slack is what we use for internal communications. At one point, we had another program, but Slack seems to be really good in terms of like communicating about specific projects. Um, We've been using things like Canva a lot more for like presentations and things like that, which I had never really used before, but seems pretty user-friendly. I mean, we do design boards. We do a lot that we send to our client. Like we don't always do very traditional meetings anymore in the same way. And then we've been sort of also exploring other platforms which can make the process a little more automated with the client. So Even to go back to your other point about the slowdown, we've really been thinking about, like, how can we sort of expand, right? Like, we have a very traditional business that has functioned in this way for a very long time. And a lot of it is outdated. I mean, 
I was using a fax machine up until maybe like eight years ago. <laughs> it's not that long. Like, I know. We were faxing POs not that long ago, which sounds crazy, but it's true. We're pretty slow as an industry kind of to adapt. So we've been trying to look at other platforms. I've looked at design files we've been looking at and some of the other ones that really you know, you're sort of able to send boards and get answers from clients. I have more and more younger clients. And so my sort of standard way of doing things with real presentations in person, of course, that happens. But there are like regular everyday sort of interactions that need to be a little bit more computer oriented. So we're looking at all of those things. Great. And Katie, what about your office? Yeah, well, I'm super fascinated by the use of AI in creating renderings. I'm seeing some really beautiful renderings that are AI generated these days. And so we're looking into that and how we can harness that technology to create renderings, which are so time consuming. And again, being a small team, it's something we generally will outsource because we need to keep our team running on some of the more immediate items. So having AI, being able to outsource it via AI is something I'm super excited about. So we're trying to study that and see, you know, how that works. And so we're still, again, just learning about it and how we can harness that. I totally agree with Danielle too. And with the younger clientele, and busy executives, being able to create digital presentation boards. Some of us, I might be dating myself, but, you know, we go back to the day of using foam board and glue guns and staying up all night creating these things. (laughs) And, And it's so nice to now be able to make digital mood boards presentations that we can just fire off via email or send a Dropbox link and have all the elements of the room in there so the client can easily understand it. And to be able to fire that off digitally is a wonderful tool. So we use Keynote for that. And Canva is also, I agree, is a really great program. So those are the things that we're pretty excited about. Of course, Pinterest is always something that we rely on so heavily to, you know, source and keep things, you know, it cuts down on paper. I think we can all remember when we had big bins full of tear sheets and whatnot. So it's nice to be able to have that digitally and all that clutter and fluff of paperwork and printers and all that stuff streamlined a bit. So that's kind of where we're at with the technology. And Ben, what about you? How does your systems operate? Because you have a bigger staff, so that's, you know, communication right. is always hard. The bigger the staff, the harder it is. I mean, I think we, you know, much like I think a lot of people, I mean, we're, we're pretty basic when it comes to the Outlook, Microsoft Outlook for most of our communications. From an architecture standpoint, we're very much invested in AutoCAD. It's just what our team has the greatest precision over the development of architectural drawings with that program. Our interior designers really use a ton of Photoshop part of the Adobe suite. I think we use every single one of their programs. So they're kind of the backbone of our technology needs. From a standpoint of AI, you know, it's interesting to build on what some of you were saying. You know, for us, we mainly use AI from a, as a communication tool. So it's really interesting for me because I have a tendency to write very lengthy emails that are very proper and take a lot of time and effort for me to 
streamline all the language and get it to all the common rules and all the, you know, punctuation and everything. And it's been, I've really enjoyed using ChatGPT from the standpoint that I can basically plug in a few sentences and ask it to rewrite my copy. And it rewrites it so beautifully better than probably I did. And not only that, and more efficiently, where it cuts down on a lot of the flowery language that I would use that might be inefficient in communication. So I've been using that. It's been a huge time saver for me and my team. Oh, that's great to hear because I read about AI and my eyes sort of glaze over and I think the robots are coming to take over my job, you know? (laughs) So it's really good to know that you're already using that and that it's already at this point that useful. I mean, God knows it's going to get more developed as we go along and now. Well, Michael, it's interesting. I mean, so obviously, just like Katie was mentioning, on Instagram, there's such a plethora of these AI-generated mm-hmm. interiors. And there are some Instagrams like East Meets West, I think interiors, just some really gobsmackingly beautiful interiors and architecture. And we have clients who will like push over an inspiration image that they saw that was AI. And it's interesting because some of my internal team members have been like, you know, should we be worried about our job, about <laughs> the fact that we are getting AI renderings as inspiration images? And the truth is, is that what I've told them, and I do believe this to be true, is although those are wonderfully inspiring images and have value from an inspiration standpoint, AI cannot provide the service that we as a design firm provide and the attention to detail and the customer service that we provide. So I don't think, even as we, as Katie was mentioning, using it for some inspiration and having a conversation about what it is that AI generated. It's also, again, just reassuring for me that it doesn't have that personal touch that I think our clients expect in in our luxury industry. So, you know, the truth is, is I'm happy to have it, but I'm also happy to not be worried about it. (laughs) Well said, well said. Yeah, true. And, you know, it's a big step from, you know, finding a beautiful fabric that you see online somewhere and then actually turning that into drapes or sofa upholstery. I mean, there's a lot of steps in between there. So I think you guys don't have to worry in that sense about being replaced at the moment. But it's so interesting to me how I I think there are some jobs that will probably be fewer people doing them because of AI. But I don't think you know, providing inspiration and like you were saying, educating your clients and creating the lives that they want to lead. I don't think you need to worry about that to that extent. But I do want to bring up, and we talked about Instagram just now, social media, because God knows pre-AI, I would say social media was probably the biggest change to the design industry, even when the Instagram images were actual places as opposed to AI-generated places. But it had a huge impact. And I want to get us a sense from all of you, how you use social media. Will you be using more of it? Are you going on to TikTok, which apparently taking over the world? How do you see that? You know, practically every designer I know has said they've gotten clients by Instagram. Do you think that's going to continue? Are your websites important still? Do you update them? How do you look at this ever-changing world of social media? Daniel, why don't we start with you? So, unsurprisingly, I have a somewhat fraught (laughs) relationship. (laughs) I'm the person in the 90s who didn't want the cell phone. Why would I want them to reach me? I know. I'm with you. I'm with you, Danielle. I know, Michael. I know I'm (laughs) preaching to the choir. No, but I'm starting. I will say I really understand the value of it for putting out a service and 
putting out something artistic and your vision. And so I've really made friends with Instagram from that perspective. I think I've just sort of eliminated the personal part, which didn't feel as comfortable for me, and just really made it a business tool. And that has helped me, you know, and it's also like a great place for inspiration, right? It's a great place to find out about other designers, for sure products. It's amazing in that way, right? I'm constantly learning about new products. And so... I don't know. I think it's really important. I think it's important for our voices. I think it's important for it to be somewhat of a controlled message and really representative of what you want to put out in the world. I do think the websites are also important, and I think they should somewhat align. I actually recently brought someone in who's more branding focused, which I had never done before. I'd had straight design team. And so it's been very interesting to really think of what I'm building from this sort of outside lens. And so she's helped me sort of (laughs) make friends with social media and understand that it's sort of a bigger picture. And I can sort of get with that, right? It's sort of like, you know, if I were to do my book, what would it look like? And that helps me to feel more comfortable about it and actually enjoy it. Right. And Katie, what about you? I'm really enjoying Instagram as well. I think it is such a huge tool right now. I'm curious as to what the future will bring as like, what will be the next Instagram? But it is, it's hugely important with what we do and getting our voice out there, giving potential clients a taste of who we are and what our voice is. So in that regard, I definitely think Instagram is huge. I'm very curious if the rest of you use TikTok. We're not on TikTok currently. And I'm wondering if either of you guys use TikTok. Ben? For me, Instagram gives you a lot of videos and reels that are actually a product of TikTok that somehow fed through your reels to you. So I think I see TikTok when I'm watching crazy cat videos on an (laughs) endless loop. But the truth is, is that I don't have a TikTok account and I'm not posting on TikTok. But I do think we are seeing that through our Instagram feeds. But I will say that for me, going back to its relevancy, you know, my clientele is largely older. And the truth is, is that they really have no interest in TikTok. They don't care. They're not on it. They are lucky if they have Facebook and Instagram, and they're being very progressive in that way. But for the most part, a lot of them are not on TikTok or fascinated with TikTok. So I just don't think it's... I think every social media tool has its ideal user. Instagram was really made for people in the visual arts and the creative arts, and I think, and also in the service industry. So people like us as designers, I think it's the perfect tool custom-made to get our message across to potential clientele. So I have to say, I think it's still very relevant and I do get clients off of Instagram and I do think it's important that you invest the time and the energy into developing a strong and robust and authentic representation of your work and your services. And can I say one more thing? One thing that I've really noticed about the change in Instagram is that it used to just be this sort of static, really pretty picture. And now it's becoming more about process. The videos that do really well are the installation of the countertop. It's things that move and show people actually the sort of how-to. So it is interesting because I agree with Benjamin. Like I don't think it's a direct client thing all of the time, but it potentially in our business can lead to other things, right? And other relationships, other branding possibilities. And I'm constantly sort of thinking in those ways, how to sort of have a more robust 
business that cannot just only be client-centered. I also have to add one other quick thing is that the importance of a website, I think, is still very relevant. Having a really beautiful website that functions well, that leads your potential clients in is huge. And I also think there's sometimes when you have a project that you've photographed, you can't share it on social media yet, but you can maybe have a private link on your website so that potential clients or people who are interested can access some of these images or some of these projects that you haven't yet been able to show off on social media. So website is still super, super, super important. Can I also jump in, Katie, on that note? One of my favorite things about Instagram is how it has completely shifted the power dynamic between publishing publishers of all kinds. You know, it used to be that if you were not one of the best friends of the editor, your images really didn't get out into the world. And you might be I speaking to a local... I have a lot of best local... friends, Ben, just so you know. A lot of best friends. <laughs> I understand. Friends. But you're right. It's democratized the process. It's amazing. And I just love the fact that it has allowed so many more diverse voices to enter into the conversation about design. And it's not only its relevancy, but it's also authenticity. And I love the fact that now magazines are coming to me looking for projects as opposed to where I would beg and beg and plead to see if they would publish one of the projects I had sent them. So, you know, it's been a really wonderful thing, I think, for all designers across the board. Right. Now, Danielle, you had mentioned process, you know, videos, because, you know, Instagram also is getting more into videos between stories and reels or, you know, or put it on TikTok. So, and to your point about showing your work, Benjamin, would any of you in the coming year, do you plan to like go to a project that's completed and like do a little video tour? Is that something you have done or are considering doing? We do them all the time. You do. Okay. And clients don't mind. So far, no. <laughs> we ask permission, by the way. Yeah, we of ask course. For permission. permission. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would assume you're not invading your client's homes unannounced <laughs> no. with the camera crew or whatever. Okay. No. Or even your iPhone. Okay. Danielle, what about you? Yeah, that is the plan. And I think the plan, even before the final, it's during the process, right? Like the decision making, you know, what are you thinking when you're hanging art or when you're styling a bookcase this way? What is the, you know, it's something that comes so automatically to me after so many years that it's just sort of a given. And so it's another thing to now learn how to speak about it, right? And to show your work right? But I think it's what brings people in. You know, it really connects them to you. It makes them know this is not some unattainable thing. It's a process. It's a process. And it's also something like you can do too. And I think that's beautiful. Like, I think more people should know that they have that power within their lives. And Katie, do you do little videos of your projects? I try to, yeah. And I'm trying to do more and more. I'm trying to improve on that. We've been doing a little bit here and there, but we're realizing how wonderful videos are as far as like drawing people in and showing a little bit of that behind the scenes. You know, how do you work your way through a design puzzle or, you know, the various things that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. They're actually super interesting to our clients or potential clients or just our audience in general. How do you pick the right color or how do you hang art? It's wonderful to be able to share that process. And I agree with Danielle. It's something that we do all the time. And we just don't think about it because it's second nature to us. But people really want in on what your thoughts are as you navigate through some of these design puzzles. So video is a wonderful way to illustrate that. Which leads to my next question, though. It's like you were saying, Danielle, you know, not just to do what you do, but to articulate 
and explain how you do and creating videos and posting. It takes a lot more time. So maybe as things are slowing down, you'll have a little more time. But are you going to hire somebody else? I mean, Danielle, you said you had a new branding person. But Katie, have you do hire somebody either on a freelance or a staff basis to help you do your social media accounts to make the videos? Is that something you've had to deal with? You know, we have a wonderful PR firm that we work with, but no, we tend to do the videos and Instagram content. You know, we create that ourselves internally because we think, well, who better tell the tale, you know, than the personal voice, our our team, you know, we're there in the field working away. It's like, well, let's document this. Let's remember to pull out the camera and run the video of us working through it. Again, it's something that for so long, it was just like, let's just go in there heads down and work through through this, but now we're realizing the importance of like, wait, let's capture this. Let's share this with the world. And so that's fun. It's really been fun. But like you said, you have to remember. You have to remember to do it. Yeah, yeah you have to remember. You have to think about it. So Ben, do you have a specific person on your team that is in charge of that, the social media stuff? I really put the honors work on everybody. So I tell everybody they're responsible for when we go to job sites for capturing video. And then I have them send it all in to our social media team. And they really work on putting the videos together and editing them and then posting them, which, you know, for me, I'm never in the mindset of like, we've got to capture this. So I try to really deputize everyone on my team to be responsible for that. So that's one thing. The other thing I was just going to say is that for me, one of the best tips that I can give other designers is the notion of if you're doing photography in the house of a project, it is so convenient to have while the staging is still all in place to have a videographer come in and or somebody on your team come in and film content in the house while everything looks picture perfect. And it just honestly, it it gives you content that you can add to your website, add to your Instagram, add to any account that you have. And I just think it is such a good use of your funds that you've invested in the shoot already. Right. And it gives you another outlet to show it as well. You know, amortize the cost, as you're saying. Okay. So I want to get one sort of last subject that I find interesting and I think has changed. And we touched on this with Instagram again, because Instagram is so central, but sourcing and shopping. How do you think seeing that moving ahead? Because, you know, during COVID, no one could go anywhere and everybody had to buy everything basically online and then wait 16, 18, 20 months for delivery. But now we can travel again. We still have the internet. We still have all these sites cherished and all these sites to buy things. And I would think that one of the great pleasures of your jobs was that you get to go out and spend other people's money. To me, that's like, oh, that would be so much fun. So how do you see that? Do you plan to travel more in the year ahead? Do you see yourselves going to design fairs, antique shows? Are you going to go travel with clients? Are you still going to buy a lot of stuff online? How do you see your sourcing changing in the year ahead? Um, Danielle, let's start with you. So I'm loving being back out there. For sure, travel is a huge part of my year ahead. And there's just nothing like that sort of visceral experience. I'm Even when I get kind of stuck on a project, you know, I'm sort of like in a loop. Because you can kind of forget everything's so accessible now. You kind of forget that, like, you need to go out. And sometimes I'll just go out for that, just to, like, get the creative juices flowing. I always go to Paris every year deco off. So definitely doing that and hopefully Milan this year. And just as much as I can get in, because for most of us, travel is that number one 
sort of source of inspiration and where you just see different color combinations and materials used in interesting ways. And it just really opens your mind. But the internet isn't going away. You know, we do luckily have sites like Cherish where we can get stuff from all over. We can get vintage to brand new things. And like, so that is not going away. Like, I think that's a steady diet, but we need, I certainly need that time out of the office. And Ben, what about you? Where do you go for shopping and for just inspiration? So like Danielle, I love going to all the design epicenters from New York to Paris to Milan. And I think that that's an incredible opportunity for any designers that have that ability to travel to those countries and locations. But I think also for a lot of American designers, I think we would be remiss if we don't mention the High Point market. It's obviously twice a year in High Point, North Carolina, and it is an incredible showcase of not just domestic manufacturers, but also obviously uh, foreign ones as well. And I just think you can see more product in three days than you can really anywhere. So I just think it's an incredible resource. And I also think it's for those of us who don't have the ability to go on, you know, vacations in other countries. The fact that it's so close and that it is also so affordable is also a wonderful way for designers to plug in. Yeah. And I do think High Point has become much more important over the last 10 years or so. And they're they're doing a really good job. And Katie, what about you? I mean, and here's another question. Do you still go to design showrooms? Do you know? I mean, in terms of for sourcing. Absolutely. And I agree with Danielle. It's a wonderful way to sort of jog your brain and see some new unexpected things. Going to the design center is huge. And I love doing it sometimes just going in with no particular agenda is sometimes the best because I kind of laser focus most of the time on what I'm there to source and whatnot. But a few days ago, we were there just for a vendor presentation. And it was so wonderful because I wasn't looking for anything in particular. Particular. And just browsing the showrooms and going back in with an open mind was really exciting and got me super inspired. So I loved that. And I do agree, travel, going to places where you can have a little bit of that serendipity, you find something that just speaks to you or, oh, that's the perfect thing for my client. That's it. That's it. And you can just buy it right then and there and ship it home. It's a wonderful thing. And it allows things to kind of fall into your lap that maybe you weren't necessarily looking for. Just that wonderful special piece that kind of takes you by surprise. And I just love that element. So, and I think there's no other way than to go out there and experiencing things in person and going to these design fairs, art fairs. Art Basel is a big one for me. I love, I always find some new artists that I'd never heard of before or find that perfect piece for a client. So they just kind of happen and it's magic. So the other thing that I think is important is sort of like small town America, like off the beaten path places because, you know, I was just in Rochester for a wedding, stumbled on this little place. And I found like five things for a little country house where it was like a random little piece of art for a corner. You know, all of those things just make, we all sort of say it right to the end, but like they make it unique. They make it personal. It's the little wonky things that make 
the space is fun. And in my travels in the U.S., in random places there, like I went to Louisville. Louisville has amazing antiques and like all of these old mantles and like incredible because, for, you know, the car industry was based there. So there were all these millionaires there. Who knew? I had no idea. New Orleans, you know, there's just so much in our backyard. And I'm sort of discovering that this year because I am the first to cross the Atlantic and, <laughs> you know, the last to kind of look at my own backyard and we haven't been traveling as much. So I've been sort of forced to do it. And it's been amazing because there are gems everywhere. And that's what's great about spending other people's money. <laughs> well, and I wanted to chime in on that because I think one of the things that, again, as we are selling our clients on the things that we're bringing into their homes, I always call it like a well-traveled interior. You're bringing in these pieces that are from all over the world, and there's something really romantic about that notion. And as designers, we're much more effective about selling something when we really truly are excited and believe in the product that we're showcasing or we've selected for our client. So to have these fun stories as a backdrop to our presentation is it just is so much more engaging. So I'm gonna one last question. I want to get an idea from each of you what you hope will happen in 2024. And I'm not talking about world peace, though. God knows we need that and all that. But just in terms of your businesses or your own vision or like a project, you wish somebody would come to you and say, I want you to design this for me. What is something you would really hope for in 2024? Katie, let's start with you. Oh, that's such a good question. I, you know, I would always just hope to keep busy and have a wonderful variety in projects. I love doing different things from like wineries to restaurants to vacation homes are always a wonderful thing. So just having the opportunity to continue to make clients happy. Can't say that any one particular thing jumps out to me other than just keep doing what we do and making clients happy and making their homes wonderful places that excite them every day. Okay. Ben, what about you? Touching on what both Danielle and Katie have said, you know, the last three years was like the most bonkers, insane, complete, like no work-life balance whatsoever. I mean, it was all work. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, the truth is, is that for 2024, you know, I'm just hoping to, again, bring more life into that. I think it's a good year to do it. I'm excited about that. That's what I'm looking forward to the most is trying to, to get some, some balance back in here. Good for you. Terrific. And Danielle, you get the last word here. So my hope for 2024 is just really amazing collaborations with clients. I, too, am into slowing down the whole process. I like building interiors over time. I hope to meet more clients who agree with me. And I think the biggest thing for me is this a return to real craftsmanship, sort of going off of my fast furniture rant, this return to the art of what we do, the artisanship. We sorely need it. And that goes into slowing down the whole process, doing things of quality that take time, that yield beautiful results. Well, I can't thank my wonderful guests enough. I think you guys have provided so many ideas and insights that I think you're going to have every designer who listens to this podcast have a better 2024. And I wish all of you a great new year and design ahead. So I want to thank Katie McCaffrey, Benjamin Johnston, and Danielle Colding, and thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to The Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish. 
which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time.